This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. There's something hopeful and optimistic about the, the new year, isn't there? There's this annual rhythm that, that offers us a, a fresh start, and, and, and if we feel stuck, it gives us a chance to reset, if you will. Uh, we're we're reengaging with people we may have lost contact with, uh, renewing uh, pursuit of those things that we desire, and, and maybe even restarting some practices that have been put on pause as of late. And so this morning, we're going to take advantage of this fresh start to the new year, if you will, to re-engage our relationship of God, to renew our pursuit of Jesus, and to restart some of those practices that guide us in our pursuit of Jesus by turning to the Psalms and looking at six spiritual rhythms, six spiritual practices or, or disciplines, things like worship and prayer and Sabbath and silence. But, but what, are, what are the spiritual rhythms? I think, I think we can list them, but what are they? What are these spiritual practices and disciplines? Well, the spiritual practices are what guide us in regular participation in the deepening of our awareness of God and our affection for God. All right, we've got a definition now for catechism. We've got a definition for the liturgical calendar. This is our definition of the spiritual practices. It is a regular participation in the deepening of our awareness of God and our affection for God. They're, they're what guide us in our pursuit of Jesus. And so they're regular because they're, they're reoccurring. There's a rhythm to them. But this rhythm requires our participation. Right? We, we can't just sit back and not do anything, but at the same time, we can't do everything on our own. Uh, think of this more as a partnership with God, positioning our lives before God, opening our lives to God. Uh, Brother Lawrence, who lived along the, the Carmelite monks in the 17th century Paris, he, he describes this in a collection of letters uh, published under the name, The Practice of the Presence of God. And, and Brother Lawrence describes him as this. He says, sometimes I consider myself there as a stone before the carver, whereas he is, is to make a statue. Presenting myself thus before God, I desire him to form his perfect image in my soul and make me entirely like himself. And this deepening of our awareness of God, of his love for us, of his presence with us, and, and, his affection, and our affection for God, loving God with all our heart and soul and mind, it requires our participation with God, positioning our lives before God, yielding to the transforming work of the Spirit within us, right? As he chisels away at the corners and, and polishes the rough edges. And so we participate with God, and we position our lives before God through the spiritual practices. And like, they've got different names, right? We refer to them as spiritual rhythms because we want them to become regular and natural, taking place without even thinking about it. Like, who here has thought about breathing today? I really hope nobody raised their hand. That's how we want prayer to become, right? When Paul talks about praying without ceasing. But the thing is, is when we want something to become natural... It doesn't happen naturally, does it? No, it requires intentionality. It requires us building these rhythms into our lives. And so that's why we also refer to them as the spiritual disciplines. 
because they add a disciplined structure to our lives that leads to the desired result, which is a greater awareness of God and greater affection for God. Take, for example, I, um, I signed up to run my first marathon this coming May. And the first thing I did uh, was, I, first I actually told people about it so I couldn't back out. That was the first thing I did. The second thing, the 1B thing was I created a training plan. Like, I've never done this before, and so I need help to know how to get from where I am, which is not having run at all for three months since my last half in October, to where I want to be, which is running 26.2 miles without dying. Now, I just need to be disciplined in actually following the plan, which my left knee has not allowed me to do since Tuesday, but as soon as the service is over, we're going to hit the uh, asphalt again and get back on track. That's kind of how our walk with Jesus is, though, sometimes, isn't it? We got a plan, we're disciplined, something happens, it draws us off, and then we come back. That's where this discipline structure comes from. But we also refer to them as spiritual practices because who here thinks themselves an expert at Sabbath and prayer and silence? So nobody here has had to think about breathing. That's good. We're not experts in these other things, though. That's to be expected, right? These things, they take time to develop. That's why we call them practice. If Alan Iverson were here, remember that video clip? Like about five of you do. You know, we're talking about practice. Look up Alan Iverson practice on YouTube. You'll get what I mean later. But like, you're not going to get off the couch and go run 26 miles without having done it, right? You start slow and steady. I didn't. That's why my knee hurts. Um, but that's how you should do it, building up your endurance over time. And so if the idea of Sabbath for you sounds as horrific and intense as a marathon, I get it. If, um, if 30 seconds of silence to you feels like an eternity, I get it. But, but over time, you're going to come to see that five minutes goes like that. And if prayer seems intimidating, especially in a group, like we pray at 930 out in the lobby, the only way to grow in prayer is by what? Praying. I guess we can skip the week on prayer. You already got that one figured out. But there's a lot of spiritual disciplines, right? But in this series, what I want to do is I want to introduce you to six of them in this series, the spiritual rhythms of the Psalms. I want to offer you like just a, a, a sample, just a, just a taste. It's like uh, you ever go to Costco at sample time and you're walking around and let's be honest, we're going there to eat lunch. Um, and you're just sampling, you know, I got some pizza rolls over here, and ooh, I, I like that pasta, but I got to get over here because I know they got the cheese here, and then you finish it off with chocolate at the end, right? Like, you knew what you were doing. You had the path all mapped out to have your four-course meal, just sampling things. Or, or maybe you could think of this series, uh, like when you go to, uh, do a, to a wine tasting, you got six wines in that flight, and you're just taking a little taste of each one. Each week... We are going to taste something new, a new practice. We are going to sample something that like, you may have never tried before, and that's okay. What I don't want us doing is leaving this series feeling guilt and the weight and shame of, I'm an awful Christian because I don't do these things. No, 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 no. This is about taking steps forward in our relationship with God. Amen? We get that? And the six spiritual practices we're going to taste and sample over the course of this series, each from a different psalm, are worship, the contemplative prayer of self-examination, Sabbath, uh, the reading of Scripture along with memorizing and meditating on Scripture, silence and solitude, and then we're going to close with praying the Psalms in the daily office. 
And my prayer for you, for us as a church, during this series, over the course of these six weeks, is that each week we're going to close the sermon with a step to take, just one step to take, a step that leads towards deepening our awareness of God and our affection for God, that, that draws us closer to Jesus. And then my prayer at the end of the series is that each one of you would take just one of these six practices, not all of them, let's start small, take one of these practices that you've tasted, that you've sampled, and begin to incorporate it into your life, making it a regular rhythm throughout this year, positioning your life before God, opening your life to God. And so we're going to begin by turning to Psalm 66. So if you haven't already, let's everybody take out your Bibles and open to Psalm 66. If, you're, if you were good with the sword drill back as a kid, go right to the middle and you're going to be about right there. Psalm 66. And this morning we're going to look at the spiritual practice of worship, of, of corporate worship, of what we're already doing this morning, this weekly rhythm that we participate in that deepens our awareness of God and our affection for God. And what we're going to see in this psalm that David read for us is that worship is a response. It is first and foremost a response. It is a verb. It is an action. It is something that we offer to God. And so worship, the way the psalmist describes it here, is a response to who God is and what God has done. Right? It is, worship is a response to who God is and what God has done. And the psalmist, he, he shows us this by correcting some misunderstandings that I think we have about worship, maybe without even realizing it. Misunderstandings that uh, I think run especially deep in our Western evangelical culture and context that have uh, led to some bad habits regarding worship. And he's going to do this by showing us the who of worship, who we worship, the object of our worship. He's going to show us why we worship, like the content of our worship, and he's going to show us how we worship, right? The posture of our worship. And so the opening of this psalm, it's, it's essentially a, a call to worship. It's very similar to what, what Becca led us in this morning as we began our time in worship together this morning. And so let's look at these first couple of verses here. The psalmist says, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. And say to God, how awesome are your deeds. And so the psalmist, he, he begins here by correcting our misunderstanding of who we worship, and he does this by showing us the object of our worship, the, the recipient of our worship. Now, uh, who, who do we worship? God. Well, you can say it with a bit more confidence than that. It's okay. <laughs> who, so who do we, rewind, who do we worship? God, right? I mean, it seems like an obvious answer. You all wanted to say it. You're like, what I know you're wanting, does he want God or does he want Jesus? Which is it? Well, the psalmist says, shout for joy to who? God. To God. Sing of his name. Give him praise. Right? Everything about our worship is directed to us, right? No, I was just making sure you're paying attention. It's directed to who? It's directed to God. You're getting this. You got it. And it's directed to God alone. He is the singular object of our worship. If we flip back to Exodus 20, where uh, Moses ascended the mountain and, and met with God, and he, he gave Moses what we now refer to as the Ten Commandments, the, the very first in this list of ten things, you shall have no other gods before me. God's like, I'm at the top of the list. He's like, I am the list. 
And as a result, in the second commandment, he's effectively saying, you shall have no other gods before me, so you shall not worship any other gods other than me. Makes sense. And what we see here in these opening two commandments is that anything we worship above God, anything we prioritize above our regular worship of God, is an idol. Maybe not an idol that we carved out of wood or out of stone, but it is an idol that we have created. And an idol can be anything. An idol can be good things. Those kids downstairs, they're really stinking cute, aren't they? We can make them into idols. We can allow anything to take the place of God in our lives, can't we? And as obvious as the who of this is, think about how this reorients the practice of worship. Right? It shows us that everything about worship is about God. Meaning, worship is not about you. It's about who? God. Worship is not for you. It is for who? God. And this reorients our focus of worship. It, it orients it outward and upward, not, not inward. All right, we're not coming here for what we, what we can receive, for what the church can offer us. We come here for what we can give and for what we as a church family, as a church body, the body of Christ, what we can offer to God. Like we're not coming to attend a concert or a performance or, or a show, right? This, anybody here getting to see Taylor Swift this summer? You got tickets? God showed his favor on Amy. <laughs> this ain't like that, though. This isn't like going to see Taylor Swift in, the, in Soldier Field this summer. Now, this isn't like uh, going to see Pearl Jam at Wrigley Field. This isn't like going to see Lion King downtown at a theater right now. It's not like any of that. Because we are not the audience. Who is? We are not the audience. Who is? God is. I love Tim and Becca and Christine. That's the asterisk before this next statement. Y'all didn't come here to listen to them sing. At least I hope you didn't. You didn't come to hear the band play over you and them sing over you. Our worship is not dictated whether there's a drum set or a cajon and a, an electric guitar or not. If we just stood here with our voices a cappella, it is still beautiful a joyful noise under the Lord. Because we're not the audience. This isn't a performance. This isn't a show. This isn't a concert. We're not the audience. God is. And, and so they're here leading us in worship, and we are joining them in worship, singing to God, offering him our worship. Because worship, worship is a verb, not a noun. Amen? Worship is something we offer, not something we consume. Worship is about participation. Who do we worship? See, it's about participation. See how we did there? It's not about observation. It's not about consumption. And we worship God because God and God alone is worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship, the sole object of our worship. But he also goes on to correct our misunderstanding of why we worship. Like, why are we here? Was it just the coffee? It's good coffee. We grind it fresh every Sunday. Now he shows us, he corrects our misunderstanding by showing us the content of our worship. And this is where we begin to see worship as a response. Like I didn't just make up that definition. Here's where we see it as a response. 
And the psalmist, he begins by calling us to, to sing the glory of his name. Glory is one of those words we've said a billion times, and I think we, like, what does it actually mean to sing the glory of his name? Well, the Hebrew word here for glory, it, it, it represents the, the essence of a person, their character, their nature. It is what makes them who they are. And so the psalmist is calling us to, to sing and to respond to who God is, his character and his nature. And so this morning, we, we did that, right? We sang of God's holiness and glory and his presence among his people, God with us. We sang that God is, is omniscient and all-knowing and yet also patient and merciful. We sang of God's strength and also his kindness. But like, how do we know this? How, how, do, we, how do we figure this out? What's well, how God has revealed himself to be. When Philip, um, Philip asked Jesus a question in John 14, they're, they're sitting down, they're having dinner together, and Philip's like, show us the Father, Jesus, show us God. And, and Jesus, after three years with these guys, he looks at him, he says, I've been with you for three years, and you still don't know me. You know my name, but you don't know me. And he says, you don't realize that whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That's why John, he opens his gospel saying, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father possible. He has made him known. Jesus, right, the living word of God, the Son of God, is how we come to know who God is and how he has revealed himself to be. But we also come to know who God is and who he's revealed himself to be through the written word of Scripture, too, don't we? The words on this page given to us by God. See, God, he, he reveals who he is through the stories of what he has done. So, for example, God reveals his love through stories displaying his love. He reveals his faithfulness through stories that display his faithfulness. He reveals his sovereignty through stories that display his sovereignty. He reveals his power through stories that display his power. And that's why in this call to worship, the psalmist, he calls us, come and see and, and hear of what God has done, his awesome deeds toward his children to us. Because what God does flows out of who God is. He says he and he tells a story here of the Exodus. It's a great story, isn't it? The, um, the women's Bible study is going through the second half of the book of the Exodus on, on Wednesday nights. It's a great story. It's a story of God liberating his people from slavery, of rescuing them from Egypt. And he, he tells in the story of, of God, God turning the sea into dry land as they pass through the water on foot. Right? This is a story displaying God's love and faithfulness towards his people. It is a story of God's power and sovereignty over creation, over, over the water. And our worship, when we gather together, it includes the telling of the stories of what God has done. This, this grand story of redemption that we find in the pages of Scripture. And we tell that story every Sunday throughout our worship service. Every time we gather, that's why, that's why every time we gather, we, we take communion. And when we take communion, we read from 1 Corinthians 11, don't we? Because we're responding to what God has done, not only in and through Christ's sacrificial death and, and victorious resurrection, 
But his glorious ascension, as you read in the, the catechism this week, and our hope of his return. The passage that we read every week, it ends with, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, every week that we gather, you proclaim the Lord's death. We proclaim the good news of the gospel and our salvation through Christ until he comes, until he returns. That is how the story ends, isn't it? But we also tell stories of what God's done in our individual lives, in our collective life as a church, seeing how our story and our stories fit within this one grand story, don't they? The story's not over. It's written. We know how it ends, but it's not over yet. And so we, we exist in this story between the resurrection and Christ's return. So we're, we're inviting people, aren't we? Inviting people to, to come and see what God has done, hear what God has done, saying to God, like, how awesome are your deeds? Now, like, we don't do it because God's a narcissist. We don't do it because God's forgetful and he needs reminding. God, remember when you parted the sea? And he's like, no, tell me about that again. I forgot all about that. That was a long time ago. Now, God doesn't forget. We are the ones that forget, aren't we? We're the ones that need the reminder of all that God has done. A reminder of his faithfulness to us and his presence with us. And so that's why just a couple of weeks ago, we began the year on January 1st worshiping God by remembering what God has done, didn't we? Sharing stories of his faithfulness, coming and hearing what God has done. Katya, who we baptized this morning, she was the first to get up here and like extra kudos whoever goes first because that's the hardest one. But she got up here and she shared how, I kid you not, she gets off an airplane in O'Hare and she comes here, she's like, I got to give y'all hugs right away. And she came and uh, we talked to her a bit and she was at like a, a 42 out of on a scale of 1 to 10. And within the hour, she learned that the woman that is like a mother to her, she learned that she had passed away on Tuesday, just a couple days earlier. You went from a 42 to a negative 42 in minutes. And yet in the midst of her grief over that week to this day, the thing I've heard you say over and over is the feeling of God's peace and his presence with you. In part through the women that are sitting next to you. In part through the people that are sitting in this room with you. Because see, what Katya did is she remembered what the psalmist says here. She remembered what God had done. And, and she let her life continue to be a blessing to God and letting the sound of his praise be heard. She came up here and she shared how, shared how God kept her soul among the living in spite of addiction. How he did not let her feet slip by telling the story of what God had done. When Katya came up to tell her story, that was worship, not just for her, but for us as we joined and entered into that story with her, wasn't it? And you remember who came up next? Jamie came up next. Pretty big kudos for whoever comes up second, too, by the way. Jamie came up, and she shared how she's gone through and she's facing more surgeries to continue to work on a tumor in her brain. And yet in the midst of all the trials, the thing that she kept saying was how she knew God was always present with her during every surgery. How he would remove her fear as she went under. And you remember what she said as she came out? 
She came out just feeling this overwhelming sense of peace and God's presence with her as she woke. And so she remembered how God had, he's tested us, hasn't he? Maybe you don't have a brain tumor, but he's tested you. He has tried you. And those tests at times, the psalmist says, they feel like a crushing burden, don't they? Here's the thing. God doesn't give you what you can handle. He gives you what he can handle. There's nothing we can handle on our own. God gives us what he can handle when we trust and turn in him. And it feels like though we're walking on those hot coals through fire, it feels like we are walking through the water, but God forgot to part like he did for the Hebrew people walking through the Red Sea. The psalmist says, though, yet. I love the word but in the Bible, and I love the word yet in the Bible because it means we're going to get to some good news here. Yet even there, in the trial, in the testing, God is with us. Amen? And the psalmist says he is going to not uh, remove us from the trial, but that he will bring us through the trial, and he will bring us through a place of abundance, and uh, what he means by abundance is not health, wealth, and happiness. He means an abundance of his peace and his presence. Amen? I'm so grateful for this annual rhythm that we stumbled upon because Alvin was supposed to preach a year ago on January 1st, and COVID hit, and like, what do we do? I don't know. Let's talk about how God's faithful. Seemed like a really good idea after we did it. That's how God leads our worship planning. But you know what we forgot on that Sunday? Dan reminded of this in our elder meeting. We forgot a story, a really good story. We forgot our story. We forgot the story of God's faithfulness uh, to us as a church throughout this past year, of all God has done in and through our church over the past year. There's so much to remember, so much to share. And uh, so I'm going to share it with you. We, we boo-booed on the first, but okay, we make a mistake. Sorry about that. We're going to pick it up now. You know what God's done this last year? I'm going to tell you. We, start, we started the way this year, didn't we? We started the way as 14 people last January began a three-year journey of spiritual growth and transformation as we more faithfully follow the way of Jesus together. 21 of you are going to begin your journey on Wednesday night, and I'm already praying for those of you that are going to join in next year. That's just the start. This fall, um, this fall, man, we got to bring Tim on full-time. Can we clap for that one? And we didn't just do it because we had extra money lying around. We're like, I don't know, let's give it to Tim. <laughs> if anything, like our giving has actually gone down through the pandemic, and what we did was we increased staffing. That was a step of faith. But we did it because we knew we wanted to start Redemption Youth this fall. We'd always been talking about my boys, uh, they're in, you're in sixth grade now, right? Just making sure. Uh, so like this was the fall we needed youth. And so worst case, there was going to be two. I knew Tim was going to have two. We got way more than two. And so he spent the fall, uh, Tim and Tirza and Becca, they spent the fall helping our kids see God's faithfulness to his people, uh, his promises to his people through the Old Testament covenants. But who do those promises, who do those covenants point to? Who are they fulfilled in? Jesus. Now he's looking for the Jesus answer. God is still going to get you partial credit. It's still right. And so this spring, they're going to turn to the Gospel of John as they see who Jesus is. But not just that, remember... Back in March, we opened the pantry. This thing that um, Amrtha and Sarah and I have been praying about for like four years. And we started it in March finally. And you know, over a hundred of you, including our little kids, have served in the pantry. 
Little kids. Like Bennett was serving, he was barely one. Over 100 of you have served as we meet the physical needs of those in our community, as we, we are the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. We have given out over 30,000 diapers. There should be a little bit of silence right there. Moose has a spreadsheet. She looked it up. We've given out over 600 packs of wipes, and that's just in 10 months. That's just one hour every Saturday. One hour every Saturday a month. Not just that, we've given out, we haven't even asked you for donations yet, and every month we got a ton of donations. We've given out strollers and car seats and toys and clothes and more clothes. We even gave out an Iron Man costume in October. That was pretty awesome. Not just that, like, God is so ridiculously generous, amen? And his generosity, uh, it, it works through your generosity. And so we've contributed over $56,000 to our hands and feet fund. Right? Every month we give at least 5% to that fund. And uh, we don't like to keep that money. We like to, it's like a hot potato. You give it, we give it away. So what have we done? We've given out, in the, just in the last year, we've given out $12,000 to local organizations like LSSI and their therapeutic foster care program and Journeys and their emergency hotel program for the pandemic. We've contributed $12,000 to the pantry because that's a lot of diapers, guys. 30,000 diapers cost money. $7,000 just in benevolence for our own church family. $3,000 in um, missions and seminary scholarships. Two of you guys are here this morning. We cleared the list of four teachers this fall all out of the hands and feet fund. Then we went and contributed $114,000 to our Helping Churches Thrive Fund, where we give 10%, at least 10% every month. And same thing, we, we get it and we gave it away. Uh, we have contributed $25,000 to Formation Church in Salt Lake City, a church that we got to help plant a few years ago uh, with Ryan, our, our planting pastor, and a group of people. So every so often, you remember, like, we brought the Morris up, and they left to go to Salt Lake City. Uh, we brought the Nisbets up, they left to go to Salt Lake City. The Bournes left to go to Salt Lake City. We didn't just give them $25,000, we gave them people, too. People hurt more than the money, because there were relationships there. Those are our friends. We gave $10,000 to uh, a, a church also named Redemption because they're cool. Um, in Belvedere, they're a part of our network, uh, Converge. There's a group of pastors of about 10 of us that get together every other month. We're getting together this week. Adam, their pastor, is a part of our group. Uh, we gave them $10,000 for the down payment on their building that they moved into. So they're worshiping in their own church home right now. Instead of uh, sticky stained glass clings on their windows, they have like actual stained glass windows, and it is gorgeous. We contributed $10,000 to Converge churches for church planning, $2,000 to a church in Ukraine. That feels like forever ago. $18,000 to our four monthly partners, including David Pater, a church planner in Toulouse, France. And $10,000 to our other one-time partners like Tim Beavis, who travels the world training pastors in hard-to-reach areas. But then out of that, like, we've continued to focus on the hospitality of our church home over the last year. We added the lobby. That seems like forever ago, doesn't it? A year ago, that wasn't there. A year ago, there were still walls, and we tore down the walls, and we laid some carpet. Now we've got a place to connect afterwards. You don't have to like be in the hallway lobbies, and you don't have to like stay in your chairs. Like We've got a great place out there. The coffee's still there. The co-working space. We've got, we've got people working in here almost every day now. A place to connect. 
We've, we've invested down in our, in our kids' space. This last year, we, we redid the rec room. Like, we got rid of all the stinky carpet and the nasty couches. No, we do not want your used couch. The landfill does. We, we put up this really awesome timeline. Down underneath here uh, is the, the elementary and bigs room. They've got this awesome timeline of the whole story of, of the Bible on there that we put up just a couple weeks ago. And then not only that, in a couple weeks, we're going to get together on a Saturday morning. We're going to lay carpet squares all throughout the basement. Please sign up after when Rob comes up for announcements. We, we patched our parking lot. You guys remember that story? Remember, so like, we, um, we freaked out on the price, $85,000, just to do those three spots and seal it. We prayed about it for a day. The second day, we went home that night at peace. Like, this is how God was calling us to best steward our finances. And because uh, we had it in savings. And the next morning, I woke up to a phone call saying, yeah, I got a check uh, coming. Uh, you guys you know, should have it next week. And the check covered the entire cost of everything we did in the parking lot. I could tell that story every week and not get sick of telling it. I almost forgot that one. Rob had to remind me about it. But we're also going to, we've continued to focus on the health of our church family too, didn't we? That's why we started the way. It was all about our emotional and spiritual health maturity. That's why we gather together in the lobby at 9.30 every Sunday morning to pray. Everyone is invited. That is why we are so focused on welcoming others into our family uh, and, and every week meeting someone new to you and, and making this a safe place for hurting people to heal and to encounter Jesus as we faithfully follow Jesus together. There's more, but I'm going to stop there. I think you get the idea. God's been faithful. Amen. And all of that, every single aspect of that was worship. Everything that we did, clarification, everything God did in and through us. It was all a response to who God is and what God has done, right? Worship is not just the songs we sing. No, worship is the stories we tell. It is the sermons we preach. It is the prayers we lift up. It's, it's Chris brewing coffee this morning that you're enjoying right now. It's, it's the people serving in kids right now. It's, it's AJ doing 14 jobs in the sound booth right now because someone was sick. It's, it's, it's praying, it's singing, it's, it's reciting the, the creed together as, as Becca led us. It is, it's praying the prayers, it's all of it. It is taking communion. Everything we do when we gather is in response to God. It is worship given to God and for God. I think that's a significant reorientation of what worship is and of who we worship, right? The object of our worship and why we worship, the content of our worship. And when that begins to penetrate our heart and change us, we see how the psalmist goes on to correct our misunderstanding of how we worship. He, he shows us the posture of our worship. And he shows us in the psalm that we, that we, that we come with a posture of gratitude as we, as we enter the house of the Lord. It's not my church. It's not your church. This is God's church. Amen? This is his house that we gather in. And he invites us all the time to come. We enter the house, Lord, but we, we enter remembering that we were in trouble. We remember the trials, don't we? Like, there's not like this magic thing at the door where you can just drop them off. We bring them in with us. We bring our burdens in here. But as we do, we also remember God's love and faithfulness, don't we? 
his grace and his mercy, his presence and his power with us in the trial. And when we remember all of that, we respond with worship, offering to God, not the bulls and the goats as they would have in the days that the psalm was written, but our songs and our prayers and, and our service. It is all worship. That is a, a posture of gratitude and thanksgiving. But not only that, that leads to a posture of joy. Right? I, all of these things, how can that not fill you with joy for what God has done? Filling you with a joy that, that overflows like the first time we did baptisms here and I let the baptismal overflow with two inches of water in the basement. Remember that one? That's what it's like. Only we don't have to clean up the overflowing joy. We just give it to God and keep giving it. Let it overflow. Don't ever turn that spigot off. Shouting for joy. Shouting for joy. Everett and Aiden got the shouting for joy down. Those boys are singing over all of us on most mornings. Shouting for joy. Singing the glory of his name and giving him glorious praise. Not reluctant, not Eeyore praise, glorious praise. And also a posture of openness. Right? Positioning our lives before God through the spiritual rhythm of worship. Opening our lives and our hearts to what God has in store, to his will in his way as a statue before a carver presenting ourselves thus before God. Not in fear of God, but as people who fear God, who stand in awe of who he is, his glory, his majesty, crying with our mouth, praising with our tongue, knowing, knowing God, God knows your heart. He knows your desires, even when they don't align with his. And yet what God does in the midst of this is softening our heart, changing our desires, deepening our awareness and our affection as we worship so that his will becomes our will, so that his way becomes our way, so that his desires become our desires and his thoughts become our thoughts. Knowing God is listening to our prayers, to our worship, attending the voice of our prayers, receiving our worship. He's listening right now. Knowing that God, he has not and he will not ever remove his steadfast love from us, his children. Amen? That's good news. This is why we worship. This is why as your pastor, I want you to make worship a regular rhythm in your life, in your family's life, to cherish and delight in this time together, this opportunity that we have. And so I said each week of the series, we're going to end with just one step to sample and taste this practice. And so here's the step I want you to take each Sunday for the next five weeks of this series. And I want raise your hand if you're in the room. I know you hate when I do this. I'm talking to you. I love the reluctant raising of the hand just to appease me because it gets me through it faster, doesn't it? And if you didn't raise your hand, I'm still talking to you too. I'm asking everyone to make worship a more regular spiritual rhythm in your life by committing to arrive by 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning for the next five weeks. 9.30 a.m. Say 9.30. A.m. Here's why. Number one, 
And really, this is the most important reason. To prepare your heart. Right? To prepare your heart and be ready to worship God. Like, I don't just leave the couch and go do my run. I do some stretching first. There's a couple days I didn't, and that's why my knee hurts. Back off. Learn from my mistakes. But I want you to prepare your heart. I want you, I want you to be in your seat with your coffee, fresh ground that morning. Your kids are already in kids, or your elementary and big kids are up here with you. And you're ready for the call to worship. Right? The call to worship matters. Like, Becca invited us in. We, we were reminded of who we are and why it is that we gather. That's why we recited the creed together this morning. And then we began to, to sing. And I'm not saying you got to, like, loosen your vocal cords up in the bathroom or in the car on your way here. That's fine if you need to do that, too. But let's be ready to worship. You're not going to be ready to worship if you're rushing in at 1015. You're not going to be. We're, like, don't just come for the sermon. I know I'm, like, an incredible preacher. <laughs> you ain't coming for my preaching. You're coming to hear the word of God, and I just get to be the mouthpiece. The whole thing is worship. Be here for the call to worship. And you can't do that if you're rushing in. You can't do that. I hate to say this. I love the lobby. And I love how we began to gather in the lobby. Let's put a pause on that gathering at like 9.58 and come on in. Not worshiping out there, but worshiping in here. And then after service, we go back out to the lobby and enjoy some more coffee. I want you to be calm. I want you to be ready to worship. I want us to, to be prepared. So like for me personally, what I do, my rhythm is when I get in, uh, I make a cup of coffee and then I read a sermon. Uh, right now, I'm reading through a book of sermons by Fleming Rutledge, sermons that go through uh, the liturgical calendar. Some of the, the folks in the way are reading this along with me, one sermon each week. Um, I'm also reading through a book of sermons by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, yes, more Bonhoeffer quotes are coming. That's how I prepare. I need to be fed before I come up here. Otherwise, I'm empty. And I, my worship changed the day I became lead pastor. And I'd like to say, well, it's because I'm the pastor. It should change for me. But it wasn't. It's because I'm in here at 6 o'clock, and I've got like four hours of prep before I come up here. I'm not saying you need to wake up at 6 and have four hours of prep time. But I am saying it changes your heart and the way that you worship. And I want you to begin to experience that. So I'm not asking you to be 6. What time did I ask you to be here? Good job. Good job. To prepare your heart. Number two, it's to pray. Right? Prayer is how we prepare for worship. At least here. At least since this summer. I went away on vacation for three weeks and I came back and Rob had started this awesome thing where we're gathering at 930 in the lobby for prayer for 10 minutes. And it's quick. Uh, we're praying for uh, the service. We're praying for the people serving we're praying for our hearts, our worship. We're praying for our guests that are coming in. So all of you that aren't here at 930, we're praying for you. We're praying for the parents as you're getting your kids ready. We're praying that you don't face that double or dreaded triple train at the train tracks. That's what we're praying for, and we want to invite you to be a part of that. And so that's why we're asking to be here at 930, not just to prepare, but also to pray with us in the lobby. And if you're like, I don't want to pray out loud, you don't have to. Just come and be with us as we pray. We only got 10 minutes anyway. If all of you come, we don't have time for everybody. But yet your presence 
you are still praying. You're, you're still opening your heart to God, and that is what prayer is. It's not just fancy King James words. Come and join us for prayer. Number three, extroverts are about to say amen. Meet someone new to you. Meet someone new to you. And remember how we define new to you? If you don't know their name or you have forgotten their name, they are new to you. And so meet someone you don't know. Meet someone you never met. Meet someone, you guys. Meet someone over here. You guys. Meet someone over here. You know, we even started this thing. When we do the turn and greet, a few of us are like getting up and walking around and meeting people. You don't have to, but we're doing it. But that's what we got 940 to 958 for. Grab your coffee. Get your kids checked in. Your kids can come to prayer. I don't care if they're running around screaming. That's what, that's a great sound. Our kids run around screaming, amen? It's okay. Or send them down to the gym and let them run around scream down there. But then number four, I want you to be here at 930. I want you prepared and prayed up, knowing God's people in this room with you, so that number four, we can worship. So that we can actively participate in worship, responding to who God is and all he has done. This is positioning ourselves before God with his people, opening ourselves and pouring our hearts out to God, knowing that what we experience each and every Sunday when we gather, it is just a taste. It is just a sample of what awaits us in eternity yet to come. When a great multitude, it says in Revelation, beyond our ability to count, we've run out of cells in the spreadsheet of every nation and tribe, every language and people. We are going to gather before the throne, before the Lamb, and we are going to sing the glory of his name, giving glorious praise. Every one of us on key for the first times in our lives, maybe. And so great is God's power of who he is and what he has done that it says on that day, the day that Christ returns, that even his enemies will cringe before his presence as all of creation joins in worshiping its creator. All the earth is going to worship you that day, God, you have said, as every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen? And the psalmist says, Selah. And we just sit in that for a moment. A taste, that sample of what's to come. And we get to do that every Sunday together. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.